Thank you, kids. We need you. I love that Pastor Britta said that. We need you. The Lord be with you. Well, good morning. My name is Paul. Uh, I'm one of the co-lead pastors with my wife, uh, Pastor Britta, here at Newport. Uh, and as we begin, I just want to ask a question. Uh, it might seem a little strange, but bear with me. What were some of your favorite games to play as a kid? So if you're uh, in the room, just go ahead and call those out. If you're online, I have my phone. So if you type into the comments, I'll try to read some of those. What were some of your favorite games as a kid? Kick the can. Oh, I know you're going to resonate with Pastor Britta on that one. She loved kick the can. She's got a lot of stories you're going to ask her later. Uh, other games as a kid. Hide and seek. Such a classic, right? Classic hide and seek. Flashlight tag. We might have to bring that one back for our kids. That's a good one, Pastor Scott. For, for, we should play flashlight tag. What am I saying? Uh, okay, I'm still looking if there's any others online. So far, we're waiting a little bit. Uh, any Foursquare players out there? Foursquare, a little bit. Right, hopscotch? Hopscotch, right, a classic. Which one? Tetherball. Who could go wrong with tetherball? Okay, we've got a few in here. Hide and seek. A couple hide and seekers. Spud. Did anybody ever play Spud? Oh, that's a classic. That's Pastor Rick. So ask Pastor Rick about that one later because there's some good stuff there. Okay, this is going to date me a little bit. Um, does anybody know what pogs are? Okay, well, that's lost in you. We'll, we'll save that one for another time. Uh, okay, but when I was a, a, a little bit of a younger kid, about five years old, one of my absolute favorite games to play was good guy, bad guy. Oh, it was the best game. And there's a bunch of different ways you can play this game, but in my house, I always had to be the good guy. Uh, if you know me at all, or you don't maybe know me as well yet, uh, I am a, a perfectionist. There's a, a kind of a personality profile thing called the Enneagram. I'm a one on the Enneagram, which means I'm a, it's called a good person, right? Like goodness is really, really important. So there is absolutely no way, even as a kid, that I could pretend to be a bad guy. I had to be the good guy. So I was always the good guy, and my parents were always the bad guy. Uh, and I loved this game as a kid. Uh, exactly, right? Exactly. My parents were always the bad guy. Five-year-old, he knew what he was doing. Uh, and so I loved to play this game, but I loved to play this game because it meant like I got to wrestle with my parents, right? I got to, like, they would, like, kind of trap me, and I'd have to get away, and then we'd wrestle. It was so fun. I loved good guy, bad guy. Uh, and it would always end, <laughs> again, this is one of those things as a kid, five-year-old, like, you know, you, I would put my parents in jail. Right? That's the way the game ended. And so one day in particular, uh, I was playing good guy, bad guy with my mom. And we were playing up in uh, my room. I was five years old. Uh, and we had kind of finished, right? We had wrestled and got her and I'd won. I was like, yes, because the good guy always wins. And uh, so I won. And I asked my mom this question. I said, mom, how, how do we help the bad guys? Right? As a five-year-old, uh, that was kind of an interesting question to ask. Uh, but there's something about when we're kids... That when we're playing, like, all of a sudden these questions will come to mind, right? Like, parents or people who know young kids, right? The amount of questions that come out of kids is crazy, right? Like, you'll be playing, you'll be doing something totally focused on something, and they'll be like, why is a cucumber green? Right? Like, kids, just, their brain is just ready to engage. And so I asked my mom, I said, Mom, how could we help these bad guys? And I am incredibly grateful for my mom because she knew something else was going on. She knew, actually, that Jesus was getting to work in my life. Uh, and so she asked me a couple questions. She asked me a couple leading questions. She said, well, what do you think it means to help somebody? And how have you been helped before? And so we kind of got to this point where uh, I had, my, both of my parents are pastors. And so I'd been in the church for a long time and heard about Jesus, knew who Jesus was, but didn't have like this kind of intimate relationship with Jesus. And so it came to, to really help people to help them know Jesus. And so my mom said, well, do you want to know Jesus? 
And so on my bedroom floor as a five-year-old, I met Jesus playing good guy, bad guy, right? That was the first moment that I said, I want to follow Jesus in the middle of this game. Now, uh, obviously, that's an incredibly significant story to me, but there's a couple of reasons I think it has significance for us this morning. Uh, The first thing is I'm incredibly grateful for my mom who was intuitive enough, who was paying attention enough, who didn't just kind of uh, brush aside that kind of question in the middle of this game. How do we help people? But she, she entered into that space, and she helped me see that Jesus was doing something, right? Jesus was getting to work in my life in a way I didn't even, I couldn't fully articulate. I, I didn't know what it meant that Jesus helped people. I still don't fully understand that, right? But there was something that was going on within me that my mom paid enough attention to my questions that she helped me. That's an important thing for us to remember when our kids are asking questions. But the other thing about this story that I think is helpful for us this morning is when we're kids, kind of the line between reality and imagination is incredibly blurred, right? Like we can be wrestling, engaged in this good guy, bad guy game, and all of these ideas in our brain all of a sudden like, hmm, how do we help people, right? Because as a kid, we're ready. We are attentive to what's happening before us, and we're ready to respond to what's happening in the moment. As, as kids in particular, we are less hindered by the ways in which the world works, right? We're just, we have our eyes wide open with wonder. And so we're unhindered and we're unencumbered as we enter into this thing called life. As we hear these invitations from Jesus, I firmly believe now looking back, this was an invitation from Jesus to me to come and to follow him. And because I was a kid, I wasn't as hindered or I was unhindered and unencumbered to come to Jesus. Our story this morning is about coming to Jesus unhindered and unencumbered. It's a story to respond to the invitation of Jesus like a child. A a, a child whose eyes are wide and full of questions and wonder. This is what the invitation is for us and for the way we are invited to come like little ones. We are in a, a season called Lent. Uh, which is a season of, of long waiting. I love that you, uh, Chris and Hiromi, talked about waiting this morning. Lent is a season of waiting. It's a season of anticipation. It's a season where we intentionally journey with Jesus to the cross. And in the church, we celebrate this season of Lent in these 40 days that lead up to Easter. Because we long for resurrection. But in longing for resurrection, there is a lot of waiting that happens. And so that's what this particular season is about. And so our series, this uh, Lenten season, is this series called Hear Our Prayer, where we're looking at these prayers of Jesus. And this prayer we're looking at of, of Jesus this morning is actually the first time Jesus talks to God as his father. Uh, he, he talks to God as father, this intimate, deep relationship, this uh, deep communion with God. And so uh, our topic this morning is one of confession. Now, a lot of times in the church, we hear this word confession, uh, and confession a lot of times we equate with like uh, confessing our sins, right? So uh, uh, our church, Newport, we had what's called an Ash Wednesday service, which is an intentional marking of the beginning of this season. And one of the things we did is we came uh, forward to this table and we received a a cross of ashes on our forehead to remember that from dust you've come to dust you shall return. And this is an opportunity for us to recognize our sin and our need to repent and to turn back to God. It's something like confession. But the kind of confession we're talking about this morning is kind of the other side of that confession. Uh, that part of confession is central and important. But it's the kind of confession where we confess to something or into something, right? It's a profession of faith. 
And so we are professing or we are confessing that Jesus Christ would be our Lord and Savior. We are confessing our belief in Jesus and our belief in God through Jesus. So turn with me, if you would, uh, in your Bible to Matthew chapter 11. Uh, For those of you who don't know, Matthew is the very first book uh, in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the pews in front of you. There's a little uh, slot. You can pull those out. Uh, And as Pastor Britta likes to say, it's right about here in your Bible. Right? So that's the very first book of the New Testament, which talks about Jesus. It's the story of Jesus. And so Matthew 11, and we're going to be beginning in verse 25. Uh, The end of this passage might be familiar to you, but... uh, The lead-in is really important. So hear these words anew this morning. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, doesn't that sound so refreshing? What an invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. It's an important invitation for us to sit in this morning. But as we uh, think about that passage, it's kind of confusing because these things that lead into it don't necessarily feel like they fit, right? Jesus is saying, thanks for hiding these things, God, and uh, revealing these things to others, and uh, only people know God through me come to me, right? And so it's a little bit confusing. Why why exactly are these things paired together? I think it's uh, helpful and important for us to kind of understand the context of how Jesus is praying this prayer. You see, Jesus is uh, inviting this prayer into the the paradoxical value of the kingdom of God, a way in which things are kind of upended and they're reversed from the way that you'd think they would be. So at the beginning, Jesus talks about hiding these things from the wise people and revealing them to little ones, right? This kind of great reversal of normally you'd think wise people would be the ones to find out and kids would be the ones that would be hidden from. But he flips that, right? Uh, And then Jesus uses this image of a yoke, Right, a yoke, which is an image that's often uh, kind of, we think about as kind of being oppressive or keeping someone in captivity. But Jesus says, my yoke is easy and, and it gives rest. Right, there's this great reversal that happens. And so what Jesus is talking about here in this prayer is this great reversal of the kingdom of God. Now, on Ash Wednesday, uh, we had the opportunity, uh, we did all these stations focused on the Lord's Prayer. That's why we're saying the Lord's Prayer throughout the series. Uh, and one of the invitations we had was to write values of the kingdom of God uh, as a way for God's kingdom to come. It was an invitation for us in a prayer practice. And so some of the values that we all wrote, that you wrote and brought to God on this board, are peace, joy, forgiveness, nice, new, radical inclusion, gracious, welcoming, complete surrender and peace, Equality, pursuit of justice, everlasting love. 
Does it sound like our world could use a few more of these attributes? Do these things kind of sound a little bit like a great reversal in the way the world looks right now? In the way we feel and the the burdens that we're bearing as as a global community? This is a great reversal, right? An invitation to the kingdom of God that is described by these kinds of things of of radical inclusion and welcoming and peace and hope and joy and niceness. This is the invitation that Jesus extends about the kingdom of God. This great reversal from the ways in which the world often works. And our call then, as people who seek to follow Jesus, to bring these kinds of attributes to the world. And this is the prayer that Jesus is praying. And so at the very beginning, uh, we hear Jesus pray to his father. And he says, at that time, Jesus says, I praise you, father. Now, the word that's used there for praise is a word that's way too complicated to say in the Greek. There's, I won't even attempt to say in the word that's there. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the New Testament is written in a language called Greek. And so one of the things we do in our English translations is do the best we can to communicate what was written there. But there's all kinds of depths of insight. That, that's why we do these things of study, and we do try to learn some of these things each week. And so uh, this word for praise, uh, some of your translations may even say thank. I thank you, Father. But other translations for this particular word for praise are to make a declaration or to make something known. And another word that's used there is actually confess. Right? When Jesus is saying, Father, I praise, Father, I thank you, There's this element of confession to what Jesus is doing. Because this is also the first time in which Jesus has communicated to God as his father. And so there's this confessional element to Jesus' proclamation. And that's the kind of confession we're being invited into this morning. It isn't so much just coming with naming our personal sins, the things that keep us distant from God. But there's also a proclamation, a making known of God. The the grandness and the goodness of God, confessing to, following after God, right? So Jesus, at the very beginning of this prayer, he models this for us by saying, I praise you, God. I thank you, God. I confess to the goodness of who God is. There's a confessional element to what Jesus is doing. And then Jesus goes on to describe, I thank you, I praise you, I confess to you, God, my Father, that you have kept these things hidden from the wise and learned and revealed them to these little ones. Now, it's easy uh, when we first hear this that we could think that uh, uh, the, the seeking to find intellectual ideas or to, to learn things is bad. And that's not what Jesus is saying. There's nothing wrong with seeking to understand more. But Jesus is instead saying he's kind of calling out these wise and learned people who think that they can think their way into heaven. Right? The, the way in which they could intellectualize or they could learn enough to find themselves uh, brought into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, you've hidden these things from those wise and learned people, and instead, you've revealed them to these little ones. Now, I have to admit, this week, I just got captured by this image of what Jesus says, uh, you've revealed these things to little ones. The word that Jesus uses there for these little ones, these, these, uh, these small people, is this word napios in Greek. And the word napios refers to an infant. And uh, one translation that talked about this word napios talked about a baby being cradled in arms. God kept these things hidden from the maturity of the people who thought that they could think their way into the kingdom and instead has revealed God's self to these napios, these babies held in arms. 
I am uh, blessed as a uh, person uh, to have two children. I'm a father of two kids. And both of my kids were dramatically different as infants. Uh, my son, Bjorn, when he was an infant, was incredibly content. And actually, uh, he was almost too content. He didn't let us know sometimes when he needed something, uh, which can cause problems when you're an infant. And that's the only way you let people know is by crying. But he loved to be held. And when I held my son, he snuggled in close. He just wanted to be warm. He wanted to, to get close to my body. He loved being held. My daughter, on the other hand, for the first four months of her life, and that's not much exaggeration, you can ask Pastor Britta, was inconsolable. And so holding my daughter was a lot like this. Right? Shh, shh, shh. Now, uh, they tell you now as uh, parents that colic isn't a thing because you can't do anything about colic. She was 100% colicky, right? Like that's absolutely what happened. She was inconsolable as an infant. And so holding my daughter for the first four months of her life was a lot like this. Shh, 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 right? And here's the beauty and what God just like captured me with in this image. Is God says, I reveal my kingdom. I reveal myself. Not to the people who think they've reached a, a level of maturity so they can understand all the things about me. But like an infant who is held in my arms. An infant who is held close and wants to just nuzzle in. And also when we're infants and we are inconsolable. And God holds us everywhere in between. And that's how God reveals God's self to us. Like what an incredibly profound image. That I don't have to get cleaned up. I don't have to have everything perfectly figured out. I don't have to know everything about who God is or what God is like. But rather, I'm invited to come to God like an infant, sometimes needing to just be shaken because I'm inconsolable. Sometimes in nuzzling in to the arms of my Father. This is the way in which God has revealed God's kingdom. And so... Uh, uh, Jesus kind of ends his prayer to the Father in these first two verses. That, Father, I praise you. I confess to you. I seek uh, your fullness of who you are, the goodness of who you are. And I, I, I'm grateful that you have revealed these things to infants, to these little babies held in arms. And then Jesus goes on to say that nobody knows the Father except the Son, and nobody knows the Son except the Father, and that the way to the Father, the way to understanding who God is, is Jesus. Right? And so what Jesus is essentially saying is, the way to God is Jesus. The way to understanding God, the way to knowing God, not just intellectualizing, but being an intimate relationship with God is Jesus. This is the kind of confession we're being invited into, to confess following after Jesus, which is in fact the only way to God. Now this would have been radical for the people listening, because the I mean, Jesus was making a claim that he was, in fact, the Son of God. That's pretty remarkable. We sometimes have heard that a lot in our world. But at that point, that was pretty new information. So it was kind of this radical invitation that to come to God was through Jesus. The way to God is Jesus. But this also stood in stark contrast to the way the people of God understood what it meant to get to God. So uh, sometimes what writers do in the in, uh, scripture in the Bible is they help us kind of understand more about what we're reading by what comes before and what comes after. 
So if you look right before, if you turn in your Bible right before uh, to Matthew 11, uh, the, the title I have or the heading I have for the passage right before this is Woe on Unrepentant Towns. And what Jesus is saying there is there's this group of people in these other communities that Jesus was a part of and he was in. And he was revealing his miracles. He was revealing his full self to these people. And these people refused to turn to God. They refused to see how Jesus was the way to God. And they turned the other way. They did not repent. They kept themselves facing in the opposite direction. Now, uh, right after that, so then we have this passage in Matthew 11, 25 to 30. Right after that, my heading in chapter 12 says, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, this particular story is one in which the disciples are walking through a, a field of wheat, and they're taking food and eating it, which was considered unlawful on the Sabbath day, on this holy day set apart where no work was to be done. And Jesus kind of rebukes these religious leaders because they're like, you broke the rule. You didn't do what you're supposed to do. And Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Right? And so there's this juxtaposition of what's happening in this story of Jesus calling out these wise, learned people who are unwilling to turn to God through Jesus. And then he talks about this kind of uh, religiosity that is so strict and it, it hinders people from coming to God instead of inviting them to God. And so this is the juxtaposition that Jesus is setting up, that Jesus is the way to God. The way to God is not the yoke of the law. It doesn't mean that the law doesn't matter, right? Because Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. So he's not saying the law doesn't matter. He's not saying the way we live doesn't matter. But what he's saying is the way to God to understand the heart of God is not through the law itself, the yoke of the law. You see, at this time, uh, there were a group of people called Pharisees. And these Pharisees were people who were very, very committed to following after God. And they were so committed, in fact, that their entire life was structured around an incredibly intricate set of, of laws, of rules, of ways to kind of perfectly confine how they would live life. Uh, and so there was this practice that was known called building a fence around the law. So in the Old Testament, we often hear about Moses. Moses is a, a person very committed to God, and he goes up to this top of a mountain and he receives the Ten Commandments. And as he receives these Ten Commandments, these are laws in which are establishing the kind of relationship the people of God are to have with God to set them apart as a community, right? To help them understand how do we relate to who God is. And so these Pharisees, this, this Jewish community, was building uh, these laws around uh, what's called fence, building a fence around the law because they didn't want to break these laws. They didn't want to uh, hinder their relationship with God. So if this is one of the Ten Commandments... Uh, honor God above all else, right? God should be first in your life. They would build a number of laws around that law, building a fence, so they wouldn't get anywhere close to breaking that initial law. And then as they were kind of in that place of building this law around a law, they would build more laws around those laws so they wouldn't get anywhere close to even getting anywhere close to breaking the law. Right? And so there was this intricate structure of laws that they built so that they could be in right relationship with God. They didn't want to break these laws, so they would build these fences around these laws to keep themselves from getting anywhere close. Uh, it's pretty common that in some Jewish communities, there were 613 laws. 613 relegations for how you were to live. 
because you didn't want to get anywhere close to breaking the boundary of the law that God had set up. 603 more additional laws that were built as a fence to keep people from getting anywhere close to risking breaking the law that God had set up for them. And so what Jesus is inviting the people of God to, what Jesus is inviting the people who are listening to, is to say that they've forgotten why those laws existed in the first place. Right? These wise and learned people who could spout off all 613 of these particular regulations and laws were forgetting that the point that those laws existed was not for their own holiness, but for their relationship with God as the people of God. This is about understanding their relationship with God, about being brought into intimacy with God, about being brought into the community of God. And so Jesus says it's not to be yoked by the law. The law is important. I haven't gone, come to abolish it. I've come to fulfill it. But you come to God through me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Take my yoke upon you. Right? This is another great reversal of Jesus' invitation to come to him. He extends this invitation, come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give rest to your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, in those days, uh, there were a couple different kinds of yokes. Uh, There was an animal yoke and a human yoke. And an animal yoke was a kind of yoke that you would kind of yoke two animals together, two oxen, And there'd be a till behind you and be pulling up the dirt behind you as you would go. And so it was sharing the load of the kind of work that you'd be doing in this kind of being burdened together. And that's a beautiful image for understanding our relationship with Jesus. That Jesus invites us uh, to kind of carry, that Jesus carries the burden with us, right? That's a really powerful image. And I think it's important just to hold that image. But more than likely, what actually Jesus might be talking about here is what's called a human yoke. And a human yoke was a, a yoke that was put on an individual to help disperse the weight of the burden that they were carrying, right? And so when you'd be yoked with this kind of particular human yoke, say you had to carry a a large load, it was easier for you to carry that load. Think about that like as a backpack, right? Like if you have a bunch of books, you stick them in a backpack and the load disperses. Uh, Where we lived before in uh, Mount Vernon, there was a a place nearby called Little Mountain. And it wasn't, uh, lived into its name, it was a very small mountain, more of a hill than a mountain. But we loved to go hike up this mountain, this hill. Uh, And one of the things that we would do when our family was younger, our kids were about two years old and they were super mobile, but their little legs couldn't carry them all the way to the top of the hill. And so we had this baby backpack called an ergo, right? Which is a way in which you kind of have your child on your back and it helps distribute the weight of your kid so you can move more easily, right? You can have your arms free and you can carry your child. Now, uh, Pastor Britta is incredibly strong and uh, so she decided she wanted to carry our kids up the hill most often because it was a great chance for a workout. She's Wonder Woman, all those things. And so she uh, would often carry our kids up this mountain. And so I will always remember, uh, we kind of get them situated in there, right? We kind of get them all in. And you get the straps kind of in place. And there was this buckle that went across the front of the chest. And as soon as that buckle would collapse, oh. Her shoulders would relax into the weight that was now just distributed across her body. This is the kind of yoke 
that invites rest. Right? There's a burden that is still to be borne. There's still like a load that needs to be carried. You see, we weren't going to leave our little infants, our two-year-olds, at the bottom of the hill. We were going to carry our kids no matter what. And we were glad to do it. We were glad to hold this burden. But instead of just having to carry them in our arms, getting so fatigued, this yoke that we wore distributed the weight and it helped us settle in to rest. You see, Jesus doesn't say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will not give you anything, and you can just kick up your feet and relax. Jesus says, come to me, and my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. There's still work to be done. There's still a a burden we're called to bear. There's still uh, ways in which we do need to come and confess our sins, confess the ways that we have found ourselves in distance from God. But what God and Jesus is telling us is that as you come to me, the load will be distributed and you will find rest. And not only rest, but he says you will find rest for your souls. And that word that's used there, rest for souls, is a word we've heard before. It's this word psyche, which means not just your spiritual self, not just your intellectual self, not just your physical self, but the fullness of of who you are. And so it's like Jesus is extending this invitation, come to me and your whole self will be held and you will be brought close to the father's heart like an infant. Whether you are inconsolable and you need to be rocked or you are just so content to be brought into the warmth of the father, this is the kind of rest I want you to come to. This is the kind of confession I want you to do. The only way to the Father is through me, through Jesus. But my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me and confess that you want to follow after me, to be invited into the heart of God. You see, confession in Jesus is an invitation to be brought into the loving embrace of the Father and brought into the heart of God. To allow these attributes of the kingdom of God to radically change how we engage the world. It's a complete 360 in how we orient our life. That's not what it would be because we'd be right back where we started. It's a 180, right? So if we're going in this direction, let's see. We're going in this direction away from the cross. The invitation is to turn and go forward. That's the kind of confession Jesus calls us to. Come to me. Come to me. Turn. Come me. You see, the, the story I told at the beginning of the uh, sermon is a story about where I, I feel like I was first invited to come to Jesus as a five-year-old. And a lot of times we talk about that, uh, that idea of coming to Jesus as inviting Jesus into our heart. There's nothing wrong with that. But that can cause us to uh, maybe misunderstand some things. As a kid especially, uh, my sister, I think it was my sister, uh, when she said that she invited Jesus into her heart, she thought that meant that there was like a rainbow inside her heart and a little swing, and Jesus was swinging back and forth. Right? That was the image. Because as a kid, inviting Jesus into your heart, of course, like it's rainbows and butterflies. But that does a couple things. First of all, Jesus is pretty small. Right? That's a very tiny Jesus that I can take with me wherever I want to go. And the other thing about that image is it means that we think a lot about just ourself. That Jesus is only my personal Lord and Savior, which is most certainly true. That we who are Christ followers confess that we believe Jesus is our Lord and Savior. 
But it isn't so much that we invite Jesus only into our heart, but rather that we are invited into the heart of God. And so as I look back on this story of when I first felt called to follow Jesus, it was his first invitation now as an adult that I can look back and say that was my first invitation to being brought into the heart of God. To be held close like an infant. And so as we close, I want us to sit with this invitation of confession. To sit with this idea of God calling out to us, Jesus proclaiming, confess me, come to me. Be invited to be held close and to be brought into the heart of God. To have the kind of kingdom of God value. Where your life wouldn't be a 360, but it would be a 180, focusing on following after Jesus. So wherever you are, come to Jesus, unhindered and unencumbered like a child, full of wonder, full of questions. Come to Jesus if you are inconsolable with grief or if you are just content to be held close to the Father's heart. Wherever you find yourself this morning, maybe you follow Jesus your whole life, and, and Jesus wants to say something to you about the kingdom. Receive this invitation to come to the heart of God. Perhaps you'd follow Jesus for a significant portion of your life, but you'd become disillusioned by the religiosity, these building fences around laws that feel like they're keeping you further and further away from God instead of the point is to bring you closer and closer to God. Receive the invitation to come to the heart of God. Perhaps you've never professed faith in Jesus. Perhaps you've never said that you want to follow Jesus. Come and be invited in to the heart of God. And so hear these words again. Hear Jesus' invitation for us. And I'm going to say these, uh, this invitation for us uh, three different times. And to just invite you into some stillness and space. To be brought close like an infant, like a napios to the heart of our Father. I invite you to get into whatever uh, position is comfortable for you, perhaps to close your eyes and keep your hands wide, like Pastor Britta said, this invitation to receive and be received by Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. (laughs) 